Welcome to Reading the Rainbow, brought to you by the Dolphin County Library System. For the book curious looking for their next good LGBTQ plus read, listen in as queer library staff discuss the own voice stories they've been reading. Hi, my name is Oren and my pronouns are they, them. Hi, my name is Emily and my pronouns are they, them. In this episode, we will be discussing Light One Candle by Keelan Ellis. In Light One Candle, nerdy, struggling graphic novelist Josh Rabin expected to work at his comic book store job all through the holidays. The only thing he had to look forward to was a possible hookup with a guy who, let's be honest, didn't seem that into him. So when his brother Ben calls to tell him he'll be flying home for Hanukkah, along with his wife and new baby, Josh pleads for the day off for a family visit. With the best of intentions, Ben also invites their former neighbor, Mark Birdbaum, to dinner. Only he didn't know that Mark bullied Josh for years when they were children. Josh approaches the evening with the idea of getting some closure. But when he finds Mark to be completely changed from his childhood self, things get a little confusing. Family drama and personal baggage make for holiday tensions. But during the Festival of Lights, the Rebens and their guests just might find their way to some new understandings. We just want to make a note, too, that the books that we usually review and read on this podcast are confirmed own voiced stories. So they're written from the perspective of someone who belongs to the community that they are writing about. In this particular case, we weren't able to confirm whether Keelan Ellis identifies as a member of the LGBTQ plus community. So just want to make that known. Certainly yeah. something to, to keep in mind when reading books about queer people or or a marginalized group in general like it's very important to to think about like who is who is um creating this story and what is their actual perspective and what might their motivations be we have this snapshot of of a moment in these two men's lives but for what it is being like cutesy holiday feel good queer romance I mean, it was cute. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we are really digging into it more than like it very clearly was meant to be like dug into or analyzed. It was not built for this. But I mean, I I still think it's interesting to kind of look at it in a more realistic light. It's very clearly not. It's, you know, a Hallmark movie. It's a Lifetime movie. And it is it is cute. It is very sweet. I always like seeing holidays beside Christmas and as well. I mean, it's kind of a small portion of it, but I mean, there's something to be said for that too. It felt a little too tidy to me. Josh was extremely willing to forgive behavior that he described to be pretty traumatic, right? And he seemed to, and, and quite clearly, Mark had obviously changed. He was, he was very, he's very apologetic for his aggressive (laughs) behavior towards Josh in the past but I don't know it felt very one-dimensional in the sense that like clearly Josh I mean you talked to Ben about being nervous about Mark coming to dinner but he was just concerned with like how cute Mark had gotten was like one of the first things it talks about his anxieties a little bit I think but again because it is so like short and sweet I think that we don't necessarily get the most realistic confrontation I feel like I would have been far more scared to have my childhood bully at my family holiday dinner like that just I don't know it seems like he was pretty okay with what seemed to be like a very traumatizing triggering experience potentially 
Yeah, no, no, I totally agree. I, I thought, and I mean, it, it seems pretty obvious that like the author was not going for a super deep story. It was definitely meant to be more surface level and sweet. Um, and so, I mean, that's what it is. So I like hesitate to kind of ding it too much for that. Sure. We don't get really anything from Mark's perspective throughout the entire time, but we, we see this this person that he's changed into, he's high school bully to openly gay child psychologist in an underfunded school district. Um, I'd like to think it works like that. It reminded me of like when I was young and there was somebody bullying me and, you know, my parents would tell me like, oh, you know, they're, you know, they have a hard time at home. So like they make other people feel bad. And yeah, I'm sure that's probably definitely a part of it a lot of the time. But like this made it feel a little oversimplified, I guess. I liked the character just kind of like as he was. I, I did think, you know, he was endearing and I, and I liked him. He seemed very sweet. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. I think, too, I was almost frustrated that Mark seemed to be in a better place with his life and career than Josh felt like he was. Right. Like Josh is this struggling graphic novelist. He works retail at a comic book store. He explains that even though he's published a couple of stories, his things haven't taken off quite like he wants them to. And meanwhile, you know, Mark has his doctorate, who, by the way, this this part for me was very, as an artist and feeling so connected to my sketchbook, if somebody had put my sketchbook in a toilet the way Mark is described to having done to Josh, I would be devastated. Like legitimately devastated. I think that sketchbooks are such a personal, like I have mine with me all the time. Right. And so again, like something that Josh clearly cares very much about, right. He's not succeeding with in his life, at least not to the level that he wants to be. And his childhood bully who actively clearly picked on him for this thing, not only is this nice, cute, potential romantic interest, but he's also doing better. And that that was frustrating for me a little bit. That was probably one of the most realistic things about this. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And, I, and as for the sketchbook, I want to mention one other moment, too. In the present day in the story, when he when he first comes over, I think he immediately goes and like sits down on the couch and starts flipping through his sketchbook that's sitting yeah. there. And I was immediately like so uncomfortable by that. because I was like, I don't even draw, but like, don't do that. <laughs> Please don't do that. That's another thing that like as an artist with a connection to your sketchbook, it is uncomfortable when people just start flipping through it. Like you don't, that's not like for anyone to see just because it's there, especially like Mark being a psychologist, a child psychologist, I feel like he should have the knowledge and the respect to know that that's not something he should just do. Also with the knowledge that he bullied josh for art in the past right like it just seems very the whole the whole scenario is like too good to be true honestly i'm sure cutie things happen like this in real life but again it all just seemed like very clean cut people didn't really seem as upset as they would be about the past it it seemed too that mark was holding on to it a lot more than josh was at that point they talk about that in the book at some point josh says to mark like it's not just me who has to let this go. You also have to let it go. Like Mark, I, I feel like we, I haven't been fair to him in this discussion because he does express remorse, right? Like he does apologize very profusely, um, wants to treat Josh to like a nice meal and really like dissect this. But 
feel. I, I definitely feel very similarly. I mean, I just can't imagine somebody who bullied me so much. I think even tried to, you know, apologize and come back into my life. It's one thing to kind of like understand where they're coming from and understand like, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. He did have, you know, a rough childhood. I can understand that and maybe even forgive that. But I don't know how much of a relationship I could have with that person, especially if they like, you know, really hurt me, you know, made me, you know, afraid to go to school and and things like that. Some part of me would, I think, really always kind of feel that and be like, this person like really kind of like traumatized me, I think, you know what I mean? Really kind of hurt me. And I mean, even if you can and do want to get past that, that's a lot of work to do. And that's a lot of work to like carry into a, you know, kind of burgeoning relationship, whether it's a friendship or, you know, a romantic relationship or whatever, just a lot of baggage to go into kind of any relationship with. But yeah, I mean, like if, if I came home to my parents for a holiday and my brother like surprised me by inviting anyone, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd be a little like, I'm trying to just be comfortable with my family. Like, I don't right. want to have to like worry about someone I basically don't know, like a stranger. Somebody like from high school, I would be really uncomfortable with like anybody yeah. that I went to school with that I hadn't seen in like 10 years, let alone somebody that was mean to me. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I know his brother didn't know, but I mean, he seemed to know at least something because like when Josh kind of explained a little bit like, um, yeah, this guy kind of like tortured me. He says, well, I didn't know it was that bad. Right. So like he knew something. I don't know, man. I just feel like his brother just kind of was like, it's fine. He's cute. I'm going to invite him. I just I did not like that. That would make me personally so uncomfortable. (laughs) Well, and I would have been way more irritated at my sibling, especially if I had called off work like Josh did to, you know, to spend family time. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, he really sprung it on him, not to mention, like, he kind of guilt tripped him to get him there in the first place. Yeah, true. Okay, like, you made me feel guilty to come. And then all of a sudden, you're going to surprise me with someone basically a stranger and especially someone I really don't want to see or even like have this confrontation with right now yeah I'd be more than a little upset I think yeah maybe Josh is just really (laughs) non-confrontational yeah it does definitely seem that way and especially with his brother he like refers to him as kind of the golden boy Mm -hmm. so I guess I can kind of see that and I think even in the narration like we don't even get a sense of his anger or anything like that which is kind of surprising I wonder if Ben like invited Mark partially to because we have that issue of identity that is very briefly touched on, like the Jewish identity. And Ben and Christine have a new son who's, I think, like six to eight months old. And they decide not to get the baby circumcised um, based on research that they've done. And obviously, in the Jewish faith, that is a very controversial decision if you are a traditionally practicing Jewish person. And I thought that was. I kind of wish we had seen that conversation also. Like there are aspects of this that I like I wanted to know more about and and it being so short certainly creates a very specific reading experience, right? I think that would have been a really interesting character development, both for Christine and for Rebecca. Yeah, I feel like there was so much interesting character dynamics here that like, could have been gone into and like would have been you know kind of more intriguing to read from a character perspective and yeah we just miss all of them 
I mean, they, they you know, our narrator is gone for the the whole conversation about, you know, the baby being circumcised and, and Josh just kind of says like, yeah, she'll get over it. That's what she does. Like, yeah, it, it almost yeah. felt like ironic that he's just like, yeah, mom acts like it's a big deal. And then she just gets over it and it's nothing. She's kind of like, okay. <laughs> What's yeah, the point her, then? <laughs> her character is very much so that she's like the mom in this story, right? Because that, that at the one point they're sitting at dinner and Mark reveals like very casually and conversationally that he has come out as gay since high school. And the mom interrupts, Rebecca interrupts the conversation and says, oh, did you know Josh is gay? Which I thought was really silly, like very classic, wrong, wrong place, wrong time, mom. And like the whole dinner seems like the setup for Mark and Josh. And maybe, you know, Mark's circumstances made Rebecca a little more willing to have this third party at their holiday dinner. But yeah, it seemed like the whole, it was just very like conniving sibling mother, like trying to set up Josh. I don't know. It's just all of it. It's it's a little silly, but I guess it is very much in like the holiday genre of romance stories in that way you know it does feel very in that genre I think that's you know kind of a cliche of the genres that you know the holidays are like when romance happens and your your parents are kind of pushing this on you and like stuff like that just holding the baby and the mom like makes a comment about you know how he looks very like comfortable with the baby and and even kind of says, like, yeah, you're not off the hook for this teasing just because you're gay. Like, yeah, actually, times have changed. Gay people can have babies, too. I'm still going to tease you about it. I'm still going to push you on it. Yeah. <laughs> Which, like, I like in a lighthearted way. Yeah, it's kind of funny. <laughs> but I think also does definitely play into that, too, where it's like, no, you're not escaping. I'm still going to, like, pressure you to have babies. Yeah. I wish that maybe we would have seen some sort of recognition from Rebecca that Mark had been bullying Josh because even if Ben didn't know I feel like as the mom unless Josh was just like very quiet and kept very quiet about it that maybe his mom would have known but then again maybe if he didn't tell his brother he probably didn't tell his mom I wish we had gotten like boyhood Josh perspective right or or boyhood Mark perspective instead of just this one moment in time it seems like this was a cute uh vignette that Keelan wanted to write and it came across but it definitely left me wanting more and that could be a product of quippy writing it was fun to read in other short stories I've read there there can be room and space for very dynamic scenes intense character development that has you a lot more connected to the characters and describes again more realistic confrontations and more dynamic you know, thought processes. If you're looking for a very cute, short, happy, like good feeling, kind of anticipatory, like the the end is left very open-ended, you can imagine like a sweet future for these two, then this is perfect for you. Yeah. But yeah, I think to to really like fully enjoy it, you do kind of have to know that you're going in. There's not a whole lot of depth there. And that's not to knock that at all. Like you said, I think that's, that's totally valid too. I think you need lighter stuff. This was definitely a nice enough way to kind of pass the time and and read a cute little story. That wraps up our discussion about Light One Candle by Keelan Ellis and concludes season one of Reading the Rainbow. We'll see you again in 2022 for season two. 
This has been Reading the Rainbow, a Dauphin County Library System podcast for books by and about the LGBTQ plus community. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us for new book discussions. And if you're interested in this episode's selection, consider borrowing it from your local library. Thanks for listening.